one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another installment of the Best at Work podcast. I am excited to have some of our guests here introduce themselves in a little bit because these are folks that are doing the work day to day to create a best place to work and are in organizations that are best places to work. Before we go into that, I just want to remind you all that here at the Best at Work podcast, which is brought to you by Best Companies Group, we're here to talk about how to be the best at work as an employee, as a leader, and as someone who is trying to build a best place to work. We're also going to continue this conversation at the uh, Best Companies Group HR Leadership Conference in Minneapolis in May, so that if you're interested in the conversation that's happening here, you definitely want to check us out in uh, Minneapolis because Richard and Roxanne, who you get to meet in a second, are going to be there digging a little bit deeper into the conversations we're going to have today. So to learn more, go to bestcompaniesgroup.com forward slash conference so you can check out the full agenda, see what we're talking about, and also register. We have only a few more weeks until the early bird ticket pricing closes, so make sure that you check it out. All right, so I am joined here by some uh, seasoned HR pros that can tell us all the good, the bad, and the ugly <laughs> that happens in HR. And I, we always like to kick it off here at the Best at Work podcast, uh, obviously by uh, uh, giving you an opportunity to introduce yourselves by using the job interview question we all love to hate and hate to love, <laughs> <laughs> which is, tell me about yourself. <laughs> so tell me about yourself, wherever you want to take that. And let's start with you, Richard. Well, thank you very much, Jamie. I appreciate the opportunity and really looking forward to the conference in May in Minneapolis. Uh, so I've, I've been in the workforce and managing and also in HR for, should I tell you how long? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, cr crosses over four decades. So um, I, I actually started in operations and did not know much about human resources. I was living in Canada as a operations director, wanted to move back to the U.S. and they had this employee relations position that they had opened up. And so I interviewed with the VP of HR and was offered the position. And ever since that opportunity in HR, I've, I've never looked back. I, I just love the interaction with people, uh, trying to make a, a direct positive impact on people. So I've been in HR for quite a while, long before human resource management systems were in existence. Um, so a lot of my early work was done in DOS-based programs. There you go. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm currently the director of human resources for Atlas Technologies. Uh, we are a government contractor and we provide technology and network solutions to the Navy and Coast Guard. Um, headquartered here in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, named as the number one place to visit in the United States. I'd um, like to say go. that. And we have an office in Alexandria, Chesapeake, Virginia, and San Diego, California as well. Um, so my responsibilities here are all things HR, as well as payroll, uh, benefits administration, corporate communications, training and development, and recruiting. So I have a team of professionals that help me on a daily basis make these things happen. Um, I, I like to be a, a long-time learner. I, 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 um, I got my PHR back in the early 90s, late 80s, and then uh, got my SPHR. And then when Sherm came out with their certification, have my uh, SCP as well. 
and then a few years ago decided to get a little deeper into the disability side and got my certified leave management specialist certification um, through the Disability Employers Coalition out of Washington, D.C. Um, and lastly, I'm not sure why I did this because I'm probably closer to retirement than my next position. I went back to graduate school and I'll graduate actually the two weeks before the conference with my MBA. Yeah, um, all right. Yeah, from, from the Citadel in Charleston where I also was uh, got my undergraduate. So that's just a little bit of what brings me here. There you go. Wow, you keep busy, Richard. <laughs> All right, Roxanne, tell us about yourself. Sure. So I am Roxanne Nelson. I work for Falvey Insurance Group, and my story is a little bit different than Richard's. I joined Falvey in 2000, and I am a homegrown HR person. So uh, I've been in HR since about 2015. We had a single person who was doing it before, so we was a department of one, and she opted to retire after many years at Falvey, and I was approached by the president and CEO of the company to take over. I was managing a team here before that, and I was responsible for a lot of our culture activities that we were doing anyway, so it was a natural fit. I was worried when I started in HR that I was going to be bored. Um, that never should have been a worry at all <laughs> because things have completely changed since I took over. We were at about 70 employees when I took over and we're right at 150 now. So in the span of, you know, three or four years, we've doubled in size. So things are always changing in HR and in my role. So I, am the, I was recently promoted a year ago to the chief people officer, and I have a team that is here to help me. And much like Richard does in his position, we do all things HR related, including payroll, benefits, recruitment and retention, and anything else you can think of that comes up. <laughs> the list is usually long for anybody <laughs> working in HR, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boredom and uh, lack of busyness don't usually show up in the vernacular of an HR professional. Not at all. No. <laughs> it's a it's it's an interesting time to be in HR right now, right? Uh, it's an interesting time to be in anything related to people, to talent, to recruiting, to to retention. Like you know, just just pick your headline. Right. There's things that are happening all the time right now where, you know, a year ago and still to the point right now, we have the great resignation, millions of people moving from one company to another, one industry to another. Now there's, you know, the um, the idea of quiet quitting, right, where some folks are just there, but pulling back because they're either burnt out or just not feeling engaged. And then now we have the prospect of the recession, right? Where we're trying to figure out how do we prepare our businesses? How do we prepare our workforces for that? And emphasizing productivity, right? For the folks that we do have uh, and going through those challenges. So there's a lot going on. And and I would love if, if each of you could just say a little bit more about what's like top of mind for you right now that you're dealing with in your organization 
around keeping your folks engaged and productive? And then maybe we can start back with you, Richard. Uh, sure. So our workforce is a little different than most. As a technology company, in many cases, the talent that we're looking to find are very small in supply. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in many cases, they're engineers that are doing new technology and even old technology, which is another challenge because supporting the Navy and Coast Guard, some of their platforms are older. So newer engineers don't want to work on older platforms. So we tend to have an older workforce in some areas of our business. Probably the biggest challenge, I mean, COVID, COVID was a paradigm shift in HR. Um, you know, people in, enjoyed flexible work schedules, which we did. We were able to go remote uh, right away in 2020. But now that seems to be a trend where people prefer to work remote or do permanent telework. And in many cases, our workforce does not allow that. It's very difficult to do a telework job when you have to be aboard a Navy ship or a Coast Guard cutter. And in many cases, our work is top secret. So it's not something that, that can necessarily be done in their home. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been a challenge for us, especially uh, engineers who have the qualifications but can work somewhere else where that's not a, a requirement. Um, and keeping people engaged is, is, I think, a constant thing with HR. And, and we had to get very creative in 2020 when everyone was working in different places. I mean, personally, uh, my son graduated in 2020, a COVID grad from school uh, as a civil engineer. And the job that he had um, been offered was rescinded two weeks before graduation because they said, we have no way to onboard you because everyone's working from home. So his start to his career was about four months late because of COVID. And and since then, we've all had to kind of uh, modify work uh, to actually create a new normal. And I, I don't necessarily like that term, but I, I think it's an actuality for HR. It's a, it is a new normal. Uh, the days of, you know, because we're still not 100% back, we have alternating schedule and still a very flexible schedule, which will probably be our workforce going forward. Do you, do you, um, I guess, like, do you have a sense of how much of that's going to change over the next year? Like, is there a plan to eventually move everybody to a one-size-fits-all model, or or it's just going to be mixed for as long as needed? I, I think it's going to be mixed because there are, are some cases we have very little flexibility because of the demands of our customer. Right. So if, if someone has to work in a lab or work on base, then they have to work in a lab or work on base. Uh, we are looking at individuals that don't have a need to come to the, to the office and we're having modified and flexible schedules with them. Uh, but, but I honestly, and probably I'm, I'm a member of our leadership team. So some of my colleagues would probably not like to hear me say this, but I do not envision a time where hundred percent of our team members are in the office hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. That's just, as, as you said, like there's probably a better way of saying new normal, but that's an expectation that, a lot of employees now have is I need some level of that, you know, even if it's not full time remote, how can we do a hybrid setup where I'm able to do that? You know, I'm not, I don't have to go in when I don't have to go in. Well, and it's also in HR, just one other point is it's creating a little bit of conflict because people that are coming back to the office and have more one-on-one time with those who can help develop them and decide their future have an advantage over those who choose to work 100% telework. And 
there have been some Harvard Business Review studies where they've shown that people are recognizing the fact that there is a, they're at a disadvantage not coming to the office. Yeah, I want to I want to go back to that in a second, Richard, because I think that's a big point that is not being talked about enough. The 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 missing you know the, the missing link in professional development, especially for younger workers, mentorship, sponsorships, all that that they're not able to get because they're remote or partly remote. And then they get like this. They, they don't they're not aware of the disadvantage they're actually in because they don't get to bump into the boss on their way to, you know, the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Um, Roxanne, so what are you what are you noticing? What are some of the things that are keeping you up at night uh, and, and trying to deal with over there? Sure. I think one of the big things that face us in the insurance industry is that we have a talent gap. We've noticed it over the last two or three years, and I think it's only going to get worse in the next few years. But COVID really affected us because so much of insurance is the face-to-face interaction. So not having those graduates being able to come into the office and to interact with us and to have the mentorship, it's led to a talent gap. I don't think the insurance industry overall has done a good job in selling the ability to advance a career and to have a long-term career in insurance. Um, We are in marine cargo insurance and everything around marine insurance. A lot of times it's not a line of insurance that anybody has ever heard of. So it's a very niche market that we will bring people in and we will teach you everything that you need to know. And there's a lot of different facets within insurance that we're not doing a good job selling because a lot of times when you think about insurance, you think about the bad reputation that somebody has from when they had an auto accident claim. And you think about the fun commercials that you see on TV, but you don't really necessarily consider it as a career long term, especially outside of a sales role. And we have a full staff here, um, everything from a full IT department where we're developing our own internal proprietary systems straight through the sales team and claims settling here. So I think that is one of the big things that keeps me up at night. But I think what is great about our company is that we've really engaged our employees and we have a lot of conversations and open communication about what's going on, what we're seeing in the industry, what's happening all around us so that everybody knows what's going on and what our expectations and our growth path is looking to be and how everybody here from the receptionist straight through to the salesperson impacts that role. So making sure that everybody's on board with that is, you know, one of those things that is great, but also keeps me up at night. (laughs) A lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work because you're, it's it's not something that ends uh, in a given day or week or month. It's an ongoing exercise. Exactly. Um, And so I'm curious, like Roxanne, you're talking about, you know, the way that you're seeing the the fight for talent, the war for talent on your end, right, in, in your industry. So how does this shape the way that you go out and recruit, right? I'm hearing that there's 
a lot of it that is almost like, let me introduce you to the industry, mm -hmm. right, that we're a part of and why you can have a great career here. But I mean, how does that change the way that, because you've obviously been successful at doing it, right, to a certain extent, yep. right? You're, you've grown at the pace that you want to. So how do you go out there and tell somebody who's just recently graduated or is thinking about a new job or thinking about changing careers, take a look over here? We've done a lot with going to job fairs, going to college job fairs, but we also have a great internship program, and that's been really successful for us. Um, we're going into our third year with the program, and we've actually hired two people out of the program, one each year. So I think having that positive interaction with students who are still in college and who are getting ready to graduate or are just graduated has really helped us because we're talking to a group of maybe six interns that we have, but those six interns have a bunch of friends and they're talking to their friends at school about the insurance industry now. And from that internship, our last year's class of six, we hired one, but three of them went on and got jobs outside from our company, but within the insurance realm. So it may not have been something they ever thought about before they came for our internship. So that's huge for us. And I know there are several other companies who are doing something similar with internships right now. Mm. Are, you, are you all doing internships at Atlas Tech? Richard, too? We have two programs we've taken advantage of in the past. We have some summer internships for our internal IT support, but we've, we are also a, a registered partner with SkillBridge, which is a, a, a group with the Department of Defense. So we actually can bring in someone who's transitioning out from active duty into our company, the Department of Defense continues to pay them as a full-time service member, but they work for us full-time and get trained in a technology position. So that transition is, is very smooth from their last day in the military, being able to start the next day with us as a full-time team member. Got it. And I forgot to ask Roxanne, so what's your mix right now of remote, hybrid, that whole setup? Like, what are you all doing? So we are hybrid. We are um, in the office three days a week. Um, Wednesday and Thursday are our required days in the office. Everybody gets to pick what the third day will be and then remote the other two days. That was a big shift for our industry going or coming out of COVID because before that, it was 100% in the office. Mm. Also, in, in your instance, like you went from 100% in the office to hybrid, there's no full-time remote for everybody only during the pandemic were we full-time remote yeah oh i see so yeah. we have some individuals who work remotely from across the country mostly it is our underwriting or sales team who is remote the majority of our staff is here in rhode island um and in our building those three days yeah yeah <laughs> well, let's talk about remote and hybrid, right? Because that's uh, something that is still unveiling itself, right? Um, we do a, a program with uh, Quartz Magazine every year to highlight the 
uh, best companies for remote workers. And we're like in the middle of that right now, getting companies to register, to participate, and hopefully earn right a spot on that list. And so the, the thing that, that I've noticed this year compared to last year is last year, the vast majority of those participating were like, you were like 75 to 100% remote. Like everybody's remote or very few people are coming in or we make it very flexible and you can decide this year, it's very much a, a mix, right? Is It's almost like there's like a transition going on right now where a lot of companies are deciding, are we going to stick with remote? Are we going to have some sort of mix, right? Like you talked about, Richard, or are we at the beginning stages of moving everybody back into the office, right? Like there's a, there's a bit more certainty into what's coming up next. Um, where last year and the year before was, we're just doing this for now to see how long it works for, right? Is that what you're getting to, to see in your, in your um, conversations with leadership and with employees that there's almost like a sense like now we're deciding what kind of company, what kind of setup we're going to have for the foreseeable future. And there's more certainty into, are we going to be more remote, more hybrid, more on site? And then let's start with you, Richard. So we, we kind of look at remote and uh, telework as two separate things. You know, mm. telework being not a permanent thing. Maybe telework means you're in the office two days a week. Uh, remote being your position allows you to permanently work remote. And, and we do have a we had a few people on our team in those positions prior to COVID. Um, who worked in places not close to one of our offices, and, and they were hired in a position where their work could be done uh, 100% remote. But we're we're still having conversations because, as a government contractor, we still have requirements, um, and, and in many cases, our contracts require us to be on site or only allow a certain percentage of telework in the contract. So we have to abide by that, and also we have a probably a higher obligation to confirm time um, with where to confirm their timesheets. Cause everybody in our company from our CEO down does a, a daily timesheet. I have to, I have to submit a time card every Friday um, uh, even though I'm, a, I'm an exempt employee, but we have to do that based on the guidelines required of us as a government contractor. So we, we look at what we can do as a company, but then we also have to abide by compliance related mm -hmm. to what our customers demand. And that's still changing because Prior to COVID, some of our contracts said you can only work telework 10% of the time. And then when COVID occurred, they rescinded all of those requirements in the contract. And then they started putting a, a few back saying, well, we need you in the office uh, at least two days over a two-week period, however you define that. Um, so that's still evolving. And as that evolves, we as a company will do the same thing. Um, but I, I think our main goal is to not force something if just to force it. If, if it's working the way we have it, we're going to be flexible in how we go forward in our schedules. And we're also going to leave it up to the teams. Like I, I, as a functional area manager, I can make a decision. I want my team in the office two days a week or three days a week or whatever. And we've kind of given each of our functional areas the freedom to make a decision based on what works best for them. Got it. What about you, Rockton? How are you dealing with uh, What are you seeing? So we have taken a little bit different approach. Um, we really are a collaborative team here. So having two days in the office where they're mandatory days in on 
our Wednesdays and Thursdays has let us schedule more collaborative meetings and it brings all of the players together, which makes it much easier to have a meeting to discuss something face to face rather than over teams or zoom. And then sometimes if there's a side conversation that has to happen, you can do it right then and there, as opposed to having to reschedule another meeting and getting back into the flow of what you were talking about. So I don't foresee us changing our hybrid model. I think there'll always be some aspect to hybrid um, as we go forward, whether it will be the way we are now. I think that we're going to find out more as we go through this year. It may become less. It may stay where it is. It's kind of the great unknown right now. Um, We really are trying to see what works best and how our teams are working together and what we can accomplish via remote and hybrid work and really just trying to be as flexible for our staff that we have and the ones that we're trying to recruit because that's a big request from people that we're trying to recruit into the company is they're still looking for that flexibility and some of that hybrid. I have not seen as much of a request for 100% remote in the last three months as I did a year ago. So I think there's a shift too with our candidates where they're actually now looking to come back into an office. I think coming out of COVID now, people are realizing how being 100% remote can be isolating and coming back into the office environment is a very welcome thing for a lot of people because they have some interaction with their teammates and other people and it changes up the dynamic and their opportunities. Are you, are you, are either of you kind of uh, following any signals or metrics within, you know, your organization that tells you what the right path forward is? Like, you know, things like, you know, something like you can glean out of the timesheets or something that you can see in terms of how many uh, uh, people are asking, do you do full remote or not? Right. When they do through, go through the candidate process, are there any signals that you're, you know, tuning into to, help you decide how you want to advise the organization. Go ahead, Roxanne. So we look a lot to our survey feedback. Um, When we conduct surveys, there's always open-ended questions and we love to get that feedback back on how it's going. Um, It's definitely something that we also look to our managers to find out how is it working in your team? What is the feedback from your team? Because we find our managers are very connected with their teams and know exactly what's going on and, you know, how the hybrid is working if they need to be in the office more. And we have a couple of teams that have said, you know, we need to be in the office four days a week this right now or this month. And that's what they're doing. And, Some of them are like, nope, the three days is working great. So it's a lot of both getting survey feedback and also working with the managers to really find out what their teams are looking for and how their teams are performing. 
I think Roxanne hit uh, the nail right there with how they're performing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion if they're meeting the expectations of the job, I don't really care where they are because um, I know a lot of people that could be in the office not getting the job done versus someone elsewhere uh, who is getting the job done. But we our, our, we have a particular culture within our company and not to try to sell a book, but years ago, um, our CEO came across a book called um, Traction. Um, by, uh, and, and in traction, there's a thing called the entrepreneurial operating system. And we build a lot of our culture around that, which includes what's called a quarterly conversation. So four times a year, they have a very structured quarterly conversation where a supervisor and a team member sits down and goes over a number of different things. They look at how they are exhibiting our four core values and then, um, other areas. And what I've seen since we've kind of transitioned into the workplace is that much of that information is being covered in the quarterly conversation in their development areas, um, whether they need to be in the office to help develop a particular area or ways in which we can support them uh, regardless of where they work. So we, we don't have any metrics or triggers. I, it, I wish it were that easy that, you know, we, we could just have a, a board on the wall that would say, okay, this is what you do. Um, that'd be great for HR. If I could invent something like that, maybe that would be my retirement. But, um, you know, right now we just, we just look at how they're performing, uh, what, what tools, resources they need to help succeed in their job. And, and, um, whether that's here or, uh, telework or remote trying to meet that need. Yeah. No, that's interesting. When, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, Roxanne is, uh, the, uh, the importance of a manager, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and their role, um, one of the things that we've been hearing more and more is that managers are the new therapists, <laughs> you know, like, especially that's, the last that's, few that's years, scary right? too. <laughs> it's very scary. <laughs> I don't think they're licensed or that, but you know, especially during the last few years, right. The quality of your manager makes a huge difference in mm-hmm. how you end up engaging with the rest of the organization and how you're able to navigate, whether you're remote hybrid onsite or, somewhere in between right um and what i'm hearing from you richard and roxanne is they also probably have the best pulse on what kind of setup makes sense for their team right and that you're they that part of the part of the 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 you know secret sauce here is you gotta trust your managers to then kick up hey i know that we want to move in this direction but for my team this would work best coming into the office, not coming in, doing it this way, right? Like the, the importance of the of the manager, right, is showing up all the time. Well, that is, tr- and another thing that we all know from the dynamics of COVID is uh, a manager in many cases can recognize uh, signs of, of mental health needs, you know, when someone mm-hmm. needs some assistance. Uh, it, it's amazing that the, it, the increased need for mental health support is mainly hitting those who are staying at home working as opposed to who are coming to the office and interacting with their team. So we, we, we're not as good as we need to be and we're probably nowhere near where we need to be, but that is something at the top of mind that I, that, you know, I try to focus on as well as recognizing signs where people need help and making sure they know our employee assistance program resources where they can access um, in that need as well. So managers are playing that role where they may not have played that role before. That's leading also to a lot of uh, managers burning out themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like taking on too much and getting overwhelmed because of how much their teams now need them in broader ways than before. 
Welcome to yeah. HR, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the, the mental health and the well-being doesn't stop at the individual contributor range. It just no. almost like adds up the, the higher up you go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so one of the last few things here that, that I want to, you know, hear from both of you are really excited is that you're going to be uh, one of our speakers Right, you're going to be speaking at our upcoming HR leadership conference. We're very excited to have you both there. Uh, are there any things that you can give us a sneak peek on on what you plan to share with the audience? Um, you know, uh, in May. Then maybe we could start with you, Roxanne. Sure. Um, my conference topic uh, that we've titled it "Building a Culture of Integrity." So I really am excited to present this. Our culture is one of our key pieces here at Falvey. And what I'm hoping to really talk about is how a company can say that they have a great culture. But what do you do to prove that you have a great culture? And part of that really is going to third-party surveys where your team is open to providing you with feedback and then taking that feedback and how leadership will receive it. Everybody is always focused on the negative, but you also have to hear the positive that's coming out of that. So how to take all of that feedback in and then how leadership can respond and take action on the feedback when it's necessary. I'm That's very great. excited to present this. Yeah, very important information for sure, um, Richard. So you, you, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to try to top it because I think integrity is is probably at the top of a characteristic that we wish everyone would exhibit. Um, you, you mentioned the term secret sauce, and I've used that for years because I've I've done similar sessions in the past. So uh, I think my session title is the secret sauce for effective performance management, and. I, I think there are four primary ingredients to the recipe for the secret sauce. And so I'm planning on sharing those four ingredients and, and breaking them down a little bit where uh, they're easy to digest. Um, you know, I'll, I'll mention the first one just as a teaser, because this is one that is so simple, but yet most people don't get it. And it's um, uh, expectations, clearly and concisely communicating expectations. And almost every time I dealt with a performance issue and I asked some very simple questions, it turns out that expectations were not clear or misunderstood or were different from a supervisor and, and a team member. And I, I can give specific examples over the years where that is uh, that has happened. And it's 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 so it's easy to get wrong in it, but it's so easy to fix if you are diligent about it and are, are intentional about it. Uh, but I, cause in my opinion, you know, whenever there's a performance or behavior issue uh, it's either a, a, a people issue or a systems issue. And so those are the only two problems really that you have to address. And the people issues can be addressed through a, a really good mix for per, effective performance management. Um, and I'm, I'm a big believer that you treat people with respect um, and our goal as managers is to do everything we can to help people succeed in their job. Uh, if you're hiring people so that you can try to figure out a way to make them fail, then you probably are, shouldn't be in a position where you're making people decisions. 
So um, if we aren't doing everything we can every day to encourage uh, and excite people in their job and helping them to be the best version of themselves every day, then, then, then we have a lot of room to improve. I remember um, it reminds me, Richard, of a, of a quote from uh, Dr. Goodnight, uh, who um, founded and, and uh, led uh, a SAS Institute, which is actually right in your area. And um, his quote was, you know, like, the entire workforce leaves, this is back when everybody was in an office, <laughs> the entire workforce leaves the office every day. It's my job to make them want to come back the next day. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, as like the CEO, it was like, how do I create the expectations, the alignment, the, the vision so that they don't just come back for a paycheck, but they come back because they're excited to keep doing the work. Right. Oh, and you know, what's interesting is you, if you look at Monday through Friday, whether it's a, a telework remote or whether it's in-person work, uh, we spend during the course of the week, we spend more awake time around people that aren't members of our family than we do with members of our family. So if, if we're going to be in that environment, we should do everything we can to make it a, a place where they, they want to be, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you heard it here, everybody talking about leadership alignment, talking about performance expectation, amazing content, right, that we're going to have at the conference. Before I wrap up, I am starting to ask this of everybody that I talk to, because everybody has an opinion on it. <laughs> and I love to get your thoughts on the big elephant in the room right now, which is AI. AI and the impact that it's having on work. It's coming up time and again. It's getting bigger and bigger every single week. So I'm just curious, like, if you have any thoughts on on AI and Richard, we can start off with you. Well, I, I actually put the questions that you provided to us in chat GBT just to prepare for this um, <laughs> this, this <laughs> uh, broadcast. Uh, I, I I think AI has definitely has a place within HR. I've actually tried to incorporate it into my recruiting um, in in a more direct way. I think it has its limitations. The problem with AI in HR that I've seen, unless you're using one system where it's easy to integrate, is that in many cases you can't integrate AI within uh, platforms that you're current, whether it's your um, applicant tracking system, your onboarding system, your HR system, whatever. Uh, and so I think it plays a part in that. Um, but I also think it has the tendency to make people somewhat lazy. Um, and not think for themselves. And the dangerous thing about HR is I think some HR professionals are starting to use it to get easy and simple answers. And I think that's going to, if you rely on that, I, I think it could be potentially a detriment and take away that that connectivity that you have with people. Yeah. Over-indexing on using that and skipping the the conversations that, that, would, that would create a better better product, better interaction. What about you, Roxanne? I think Richard did a great job of calling it out for HR. I think that there is a lot of fear with employees that AI is going to come in and replace my job. So what am I going to do? So I think we have a lot of communication here. We have some AI technology that we're working with but we're very clear in how we're using it and we're using it to the employee's benefit. It's not there to replace them. It's there to make their jobs easier. And I think that's, that's one of the things outside of the 
HR realm and how we're using it. That is something that I know I've heard at least a couple of times from different people where, well, if we have all of this, is it going to replace my job? What am I going to do? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I can, in 2023, it's going to, by the end of this year, we're going to have a totally different conversation about AI. Right. Mm-hmm. right now, the last two months has, you know, uh, uh, what's that old quote? Like there are some weeks where decades happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like in the last few weeks, last couple of months, decades have happened in terms of AI and uh, to the point where now you're seeing people who've built it and are in the middle of it saying, whoa, we need to slow down, right? It's getting a little bit too much. We don't understand it yet, which is interesting, you know, which is really interesting. I think the implications of it, by the end of this year, we're going to have a totally different conversation about AI. Well, I know, I saw the danger of mixing AI and robotics, which Musk is doing uh, in the first Terminator movie. So I'm not interested in us going to that. <laughs> Skynet. <laughs> yeah. Skynet coming. Watch out, everybody. Um, well, I mean, thank you for, for the great conversation here, Richard and Roxanne. I really do appreciate you taking some time and talking to me and talking to everybody out there, right, on uh, the things that you've seen in your world. I'm excited to see you in, uh, in Minneapolis in May at our conference. Anybody out there, if you want to check out more about this conversation and learn more from Richard and Roxanne and a whole bunch of other amazing HR leaders, go to bestcompaniesgroup.com forward slash conference to get your ticket and we'll see you in Minneapolis. Again, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Roxanne, for the time and talk to you soon. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you.